Wow, that was a that was a powerful word uh, that she just shared. And now the blood flows. Yeah. Don't don't forget that. Write that down. <laughs> Write that down. Just to, to rem- and now the blood flows. This reminder of the sacrifice of Jesus. Now the blood flows. All right, we're wrapping up uh, the introduction of this word for us for this year. Invite the stranger. Continually blown away by Lord brings something and then things unfold and strangers show up in your life and it's probably just an accident. Nah, he's he's always orchestrating, he's always directing, he's always coordinating what he has planned. So uh, for those that haven't been here, the core this is our core word, invite the stranger, and the core passage is from Matthew twenty five. 35 to 40, and I'm just going to read it again. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit, go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So uh, last couple of weeks, we've just talked about uh, who's a stranger to you. It's not just necessarily somebody you've never met. Maybe it's somebody who's in your life that's not really present in your life right now that you need to reach out to. Maybe it's uh, someone who you uh, have a disagreement with that you're just not talking too much these days. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe you need to invite that stranger and have a conversation to bridge the gap, whatever, whatever the issue has been, resolve it. Maybe there's someone that just lives a life completely different than you live. Maybe, there's, maybe it's someone who's still caught up in sin and you don't hang out with them because you don't like the way they live. Maybe there's an opportunity for you to sit down with them and talk to them and embrace them and, and, and demonstrate to them the love of Jesus. I, I, I don't, I'm not going to tell everybody who the stranger is for you. The Holy Spirit will reveal uh, who you're to reach out to. But it's important for us to have eyes to, eyes to see and ears to hear. What, who, who, who's, who's the audience in my life for this message this year? Who do I need to invite into my life in a way that I haven't done yet, so yet? Uh, Again, only only you will know who's in your sphere of influence. Only you will know who's who's the Lord put on your radar. I don't I don't know about you, but you know I I, I get I get uh, you know thoughts and I make lists and I think okay, that's not an accident. Holy Spirit knows how to speak to me. He knows how to speak to you guys as well. So are you paying attention? Are you listening? Are you pay, paying attention to those little nuggets, those little those little thoughts? Well, I haven't thought of that person in a long time, and all of a sudden you are might be relevant, might be relevant to, to something he wants to reveal to you. So, so uh, this week, uh, Teresa Zeitler sent me, uh, sent me a devotional that somebody sent to her, somebody that doesn't, I don't think it li- even lives around here, um, that sent this to her, and it was called Always Invited, and at the very top of it, <laughs> the scripture was, I was a stranger, you invited me in. <clears throat> How does the Lord do this? Yeah. These devotions are written... A long time in advance, but on, at this particular time, 
He's speaking this and showing this. And here's, here's what the devotional said. God invites us into eternal life and into abundant life on earth. He holds out an invitation to us to experience life in a deeper, sweeter, and more fulfilling way. He has no requirements other than uh, that we believe in him. He invites us because he loves us. We're invited because he loves us. That's, that's, he loves us so much. Come, come to me, come to me, he says. So then it goes on to say, we all have those people in life who make us feel so invited. So I, I want you to just think about that today. Are you one of those people? Do you make people feel so invited? You know, and whatever it is. I mean, what, you know, maybe it's just you see them on the street and you make them feel so invited into your, their realm in those five minutes. You, you, they're so, you're so happy to see them. I was walking, uh, right when I came down for service, I walked out. My daughter and her husband and my grandson walked in the door. And my grandson came running right over to me. I felt so invited, so invited to my grandson, into my grandson's world for five seconds. And then he ran off. <laughs> but for five seconds, I felt so invited. So though we all have those people in life who make us feel so invited. My grandson makes me feel so invited every single time I see him. They make us feel welcome no matter who we are. They make us feel loved. I know uh, you and I both want to be that kind of person to others. Do you want to be that kind of person to others? The writer of this was speaking this to somebody specific and said, I know you and I want that. The one who makes others feel loved and always invited to the table of God's family. We want to be the person who reaches out, who pulls a friend in, who sits by the one who feels alone, who encourages the one who needs a lift. So again, you know, at this time that this is someone's devotional and it's called Always Invited, Always Invited, not an accident, the stranger, I was the stranger and you invited me in. So then I ran ran into this, um, oh wait, there's more. God's love, his constant invitation of welcome, his grace and his company stir in us a desire to do the same for others. So this week when you see people, so this is an assignment, this is an assignment, This week when you see people who look like they could use a friend, a smile, or a hug, follow the example of the one who extends a welcoming invitation to you, Jesus. Be the one to extend the invitation to talk. Be the one to ask how someone is doing. Be the one to offer your presence and your company. Be the one who invites others in, simply because the one who made you and who loves you and invites you in every day, in every day, by his grace and love, Do it because he did it first. You don't have to manufacture this character quality. You can lean on God's spirit to help you. He will gladly help you become a person who invites others in. Just amazing, amazing, amazing stuff that just so ties to this message. So then I ran into this little diagram this week. This is a guy sitting at the end of a cliff with a big boulder on his back and there's blood gushing out of his back. And he's reaching down because this woman has fallen over the cliff. And there's a snake there um, ready to bite her. And here's what it says. The man doesn't know that there's a snake underneath. He doesn't see the snake. All he sees is the woman. The woman doesn't know that there's a stone crushing this man. The woman thinks, I'm going to fall. And I can't climb because the snake is going to bite me. Why can't the man use a little more strength and pull me up? The man thinks, I am in so much pain, yet I'm still pulling you as much as I can. Why don't you try to climb a little harder? The moral is you can't see the pressure the other person is under. And the other person can't see the pain you are in. This is life, whether it's with work, 
family, feelings, or friends, we should try to understand each other, learn to think differently, perhaps more clearly, and communicate better. A little thought and patience go a long way, and the source of this was unknown. But I thought it was so, such a relevant, again, picture of this word and how the Lord, I believe the Lord is, is uh, in, with, with this word and with the challenge of this word is, is uh, encouraging us and challenging us to sometimes change our perspective in terms of how we view others. Not that we ever, ever, ever embrace, embrace sin or sinful lifestyle or anything related to that, but that we begin to at least think, well, maybe I don't understand. Maybe I don't see the whole picture just like these two don't see the whole picture and they're making assumptions, why don't you try harder? Why don't you do this more? Why don't you, because they're not seeing what the other person is seeing in, in those moments. So it's really just a, a, another great example of, uh, of why, why the Lord is, I believe, challenging us and opening us up to say, you know, maybe, there's, maybe you have to look a little bit harder or communicate a little bit better uh, with, with people, that, again, that maybe we don't have enough conversations with to try to understand uh, what's going on in their life to be able to minister the love and grace and peace of Jesus to them. So uh, I, I told you from the very beginning when I introduced this series three weeks ago that I was going to be talking a little bit about a woman named Rosario Butterfield. And uh, here's, here's just a synopsis of what she has written about herself. My Christian life unfolded as I was living my life, my normal life. And in the normal course of life, questions emerged that exceeded my secular feminist worldview. Those questions sat quietly in the crevices of my mind until I met a most unlikely friend, a Christian pastor. Had a pastor named Ken Smith not shared the gospel with me for years and years over and over again, not in some used car salesman way, but in an organic, spontaneous, and compassionate way, those questions might still be lodged in the crevices of my mind, and I might not yet have met the most unlikely of friends, Jesus Christ himself. And um, one of the reasons I wanted, I wanted to share this story, uh, her, her parts of her story with you, is because it just so ties, again, to this word of inviting a stranger. A stranger invited her into, into, uh, into his life, a pastor and his wife. And I'm going to give a little bit of background of, of, uh, of how I came to be aware of Rosario Butterfield's testimony uh, and then and then why it matters. And some of you were here uh, a number of years ago when I, I shared first started sharing a little bit about her story. Um, and I, it actually, it came in uh, May and June of 2015. I did a three-part teaching series called Deception. And this was, this was before the Supreme Court uh, had made this decision to legalize gay marriage. Um, and we had, as, as, a, as a body, we had revised our bylaws um, that year to, actually it was the year before that we'd revised our bylaws to, um, to just simply state that, that any of us who are pastors here uh, at any marriage seminar that takes place in here has to be a, between a man and a woman. We were not going to embrace the whole, the whole change in the Supreme Court. We were going to embrace what the culture was saying or doing. And it was during that time that I met, I, I not, didn't meet, but I came up, became aware of Rosario Butterfield. I, a friend of mine, I believe, had shared a little bit of her testimony on Facebook, and I, it caught my attention because it's a, it's a demographic in our culture that we sometimes miss or, or dismiss or don't pay enough attention to in terms of the, sharing the love of Jesus with. And her story was so compelling in terms of transformation. And it so ties to this word because, it was, again, it was a stranger who took the time to, to, um, to, to welcome her into their, his world, in his wife's world. And um, 
So we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm just going to go through some snippets uh, from, from uh, her testimony. and from a, She has written a book. Um, wait, let me uh, just do a little bit of background on her. First of all, uh, Rosario Butterfield was a long-time long uh, professor at Syracuse University. She was entrenched in a serious lesbian relationship for years, strongly re re resistant to anything related to the Bible and Christianity, and she generally viewed those who, those who were as mindless, intolerant hypocrites. That would have been her view of us, that were mindless, intolerant hypocrites. Um, in 1997, uh, a men's movement, and some of you are very familiar with this. I was been, been involved with this. Some of you others have been as well. A men's movement known as Promise Keepers was coming to her town, to Syracuse. And in her words, they parked their little circus at the university that was her perspective. And in her war against stupid, that was promise keepers, in her war against stupid, she wrote an article about her perceptions of this organization and its beliefs, and her article was published in the local newspaper. The article revealed loads of public responses, and she ended up setting up boxes on each side of her desk, one with fan mail and one with hate mail. Unfortunately, some of the hate mail, a lot of the hate mail, came from the body of Christ. The rest of what I'm going to share today comes uh, about uh, from an interview she did with a man named Michael Easley, uh, who talked to her about a book she had written. The book is titled The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. And uh, actually, Pastor Mark has ordered about 10 copies of this book. It will be in our bookstore available if you want to read it. So, uh, I haven't read it myself, but I've read snippets from it. And what I've read uh, over the last number of years has been really compelling. Uh, so you know, once, uh, once we get those, we'll let you know that they're available. Um, I'm sharing her story again today because I believe this pastor's approach to her is a perfect example of what inviting a stranger is supposed to look like. I remembered it immediately as I began working on this message and this word for this year, and so here we go. So she got this, this, this hate mail, and here's, here's how her story starts with this, with this letter. One letter that I received defied my filing system. <laughs> it couldn't go in the hate mail, and it couldn't go in the fan mail. It defied her filing system. There wasn't a place to put it. Uh, it was from the pastor of Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. It was, it was a kind and inquiring letter. Ken Smith encouraged me to explore the kinds of questions that I admire. So I underlined a few things there. It was kind and inquiring. Take note of that as, as we're inviting strangers in, whatever, whoever the stranger is, wherever the stranger is, take note of that. His letter was kind and inquiring. Are, are, are words kind and inquiring to the people that we want to see come to know Jesus? This worked for her. It was kind and inquiring, caught her attention. Ken Smith encouraged me to explore kinds of questions that I admire. Don't, don't fear hard questions from the stranger. Don't fear hard questions from people who don't know Jesus yet. Don't fear them. And maybe you don't know the answer. And don't, and don't feel like you have to know the answer right away. If you don't know the answer, say, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm going to find out. Let's explore that together. Be willing to acknowledge that you, we don't, we don't, we're not know-it-alls. We're not know-it-alls. Sometimes we like to be quick with an answer. Be slower with an answer sometimes if you're not sure. If, you're, if you know the answer, fine. But if you don't, it's, it, there's nothing wrong with saying, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure I, I know that answer. You know, let's, let's, let's explore that. So he encouraged me to explore the kinds of questions that I admire. How did you arrive at your interpretations? How do, do you know that you're right? 
Do you believe in God? Ken's letter didn't argue with my article. Rather, he asked me to examine the presuppositions that undergirded it. I didn't know how to respond to this letter, so I threw it away. (laughs) Defied her filing system. I threw it away. Later that night, I fished it out of the department's recycling bin and put it back on my desk where it stared at me for a week, confronting me with a worldview divide that actually demanded a response. She knew she had to be able to answer some of the things he was asking her about. And again, it was kind and inquiring. Kind and inquiring invites, I can't just dismiss it. She couldn't just dismiss it. With this letter, Ken initiated two years of bringing the church to me, an enemy and a heathen. Think about just those words right there. Who are are we bringing the church to that may never step foot in these doors? They may never want to come into a building. Who are you, who's, who's in your sphere? Who's on your radar? Who's Holy Spirit highlighting for you? Go visit, go see, go buy them a cup of coffee, go serve them in some way that brings the church to them. Ken seemed palpably different, both in manner, how he treated me, and in theology, and how he read the Bible. Ken did not mock me. He listened as much as he talked. I have things underlined. How do we treat people? How he treated me made a difference to her. How he approached her made a difference. He didn't mock her. Do do we find ourselves sometimes mocking people who don't fit with our, our belief system or aren't following Christ? Do we mock them? He listened as much as he talked. (laughs) There's a lesson there for all of us. Do we listen as much as we talk? I'm guilty. Boy, is it already 10 till? Yikes. Uh, Hidden from my eyes, but most powerful, he prayed more than anything else. He prayed more than anything else. Are you praying? Are you praying? Are you praying for people before you meet with them? Are you praying with them before we open our mouths? Are we praying for them? Ken and his wife, uh, Floyd, and I became friends. They entered my world. They met my friends. When she says they entered my world, just she doesn't mean they entered my sin. They entered my world. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics. They did not act as though such conversations were polluting them. They did not treat me like a blank slate. When we ate together, Ken prayed in a way that I'd never heard before. His prayers were intimate and vulnerable. He actually repented of sin in front of me. He thanked God for all things. Ken's God was holy and firm, yet full of mercy. Do we, boy, we, do we demonstrate Jesus like that? Is our God holy and firm, yet full of mercy? Does that spill out of our lives like that? It did to her. Because Ken and Floyd did not invite me to church that first night at their house and did not invite me to drop to my knees and say the sinner's prayer, The moment I walked through the door and I knew when Ken put his hand in mine, it was safe to put mine in his. Is is the stranger, are the strangers that we're being called to reach out to, are are they comfortable putting their hand in ours? Do we come across as trustworthy? Do we come across as a safe haven? And to become friends, I knew I wasn't a project. 
boy, we have to get that whole mentality of, hey, I'm going to reach out to this person and they're, gonna, on, my, they're, they're on my project list. And I'm going to see, see, see them come to Jesus and they're my project. You know, I get, I get that mentality. There's work involved. There's commitment involved. But people don't want to be viewed as projects. I started reading the Bible in earnest with pen in hand and notebook in lap. I read the, the way a glutton devours. I became close friends with a member of the church, a man my age with a similar checkered sexual history, but he had made a profession of faith and had become a follower of this man, Jesus. I read the Bible many times through that first year and in multiple translations. Slowly and over time, the Bible started to take on meaning that really startled me. I had to at least ponder the hermeneutical claim that this book was different from all others because it was inspired by a holy God and inherently true and trustworthy. So remember, this, this, her whole journey of first starting the Bible comes from a person who is gentle with her, who is patient with her, who is entering her world, not just saying, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible, who, who met her on, her on her own terms and on her own turf. I turned over the idea of his authority and like a log fallen in the woods, I detested what I found there. <laughs> Again, she's still in sin. So when she's reading some of this stuff, it's startling her and, and angering her and making her mad and because she's realizing something's stirring here that, that something's not right and she doesn't like it. So kind of just get that interpretation of what, what she's writing there. I detested what I found there. If God is the creator of all things and if the Bible has his seal of truth and power, then the Bible had the right to interrogate me, my life, and my culture, not the other way around. She's getting revelation. She's getting revelation that if, if God is this authority, and, you know, and I, I wasn't ever viewing him in that way, but if, that's, if this is true, then he has a right to interrogate. He has a right to interrogate us. He has a right to interrogate you. He has a right to interrogate the things, the things that I'm doing that are not right. He has a, has a right to interrogate the things that I, that I practice that are not biblical, the things that are not true, because he's God. He's the authority, and she had revelation of this. At a dinner gathering that my partner and I were hosting, my transgender friend Gray cornered me in the kitchen. She put her large hand over mine. This Bible reading is changing you, Rosario. So in a very short amount of time, well, it looks like maybe a year uh, of time had passed, this Bible reading is changing you. Read the Bible, it will change you. Read the Bible, pay attention to it, as, and as we follow it and change, allow it to change us, we'll be changed. Uh, she, and she, she warned this. <laughs> she was, it was a warning. This Bible reading is changing you. Uh, that's a good thing. She was right. I asked Jay, what if it's true? What if Jesus is real, is a real and risen Lord? What if we are all in trouble? Jay exhaled deeply. Rosaria, I was a Presbyterian ministry for 15 years. I prayed that God would heal me, but he didn't. If you want, I will pray for you. This encounter gave me secret, tacit permission to keep reading the Bible. After all, my dear friend Jay had read it cover to cover and had rooted around in its crevices for life's purpose and meaning. But the bomb she dropped also enraged me. No peace and social justice activist, that's describing herself, wants some unequal opportunity God, lower G. Who is this Jesus who heals some but not others? How dare he? 
The next day when I returned home from work, I found two large crates spilling over with theological books, Jay's books. I flipped through the first book, and there in the margin in Jay's handwriting was a warning. Watch Romans 1. Like, beware of what's in here. Here's what Romans 1, 21, 22 says. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. So from this, here's what she wrote. Homosexuality, then, I discerned from this, is not the unpardonable sin. This is from reading these passages. It is actually not the worst of sins, not at least for God. It is listed here in the middle of this passage as one of the many parts of this journey that moves away from recognizing God as our author. In the Bible, homosexuality is indeed not causal. It's consequential. Homosexuality, from God's point of view, is an identity routed, an ethical outworking of a seemingly uh, small transgression, failing to see God as my author, something that I inherit from my original sin. While I had taught, taught studied, read, and lived, every, uh, lived a very different notion of, of homosexuality and the, for the first time in my life, I wondered if I was wrong. And this stopped me in my tracks. You see, somehow it was easier to hate the Bible when it squared off against me. But now that it was getting under my skin, it became a foe of an entirely different order. That this book was supernatural in origin and effect was becoming more and more clear to me. And my hermeneutical bag of tricks had no system of containment for it. So this is this intellectual woman being transformed, being transformed again through the patient, caring instruction, first of all, of a godly pastor and his wife, and then leading her to study the, the, the scriptures in a way she had never done before. As I was reading and discussing these things with Ken Smith, he pointed out to me that Jesus is the word made, made flesh, and that knowing Jesus demands embracing the Jesus of the whole Bible, not the Jesus of my imagination. The whole Bible, even the places that took my life captive, after two years of this, the Bible got bigger inside of me that it overflowed into my world. And one Sunday morning, I left the home I shared with my lesbian partner. And an hour later, I sat in the pew of Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. Conspicuous of my butch haircut, I reminded myself that I came to meet God, not to fit in. I share this, she writes this, I share this only to expose the treacherous journey that outsiders and outcasts travel to arrive at the seat next to you. I put that in there deliberately because we're going to have people coming in here. We're going we're to have people coming in here who may look different. 
who may look conspicuously different. She tells us what a hard step that is. We need to, we need to understand that. I show this only to expose the treacherous journey that outsiders and outcasts travel to arrive at the seat next to you. Ken was preaching through the Gospel of Matthew, then Jesus' cutting question to impetuous Peter, followed by Pastor Ken's steel blue eyes and long pause before he turned the question on us. Congregation, do you still lack understanding? I felt very personally like that question was for me. The image that came like waves of nausea over me and everyone I love suffering in hell vomited into my consciousness and gripped me in its teeth, not because we were gay, but because we were proud. We wanted uh, to be autonomous from the God who made us. We wanted to be autonomous from the God who made us. I was a thinker. I was paid to read books and write about them, and I expected that in all areas of my life, understanding came before obedience, not the other way around. I wanted God to show me on my terms why homosexuality was a sin. I wanted to be the judge, not the one being judged. And I wrestled with the question, did I really want to understand God's point of view on this subject, or did I just want to argue with him? Well, that's a good question. We can, we can apply that to anything. Apply that to other things in your life. Do I want God's perspective on this, or do I just want to argue with him? Do I just want to make my case? Do I just want to express my point of view? Pay attention to those, how that applies in, in your own life. Some of this won't relate to you in any way. Some of it will. Uh, let's see. Uh, I, prayed that night, I prayed that night that God would give me the willingness to obey before I understood. I prayed long and into the unfolding day. When I woke up and I looked in the mirror, I looked the same. But I, when I looked into my heart through the lens of the Bible, I realized this. My life, my career, my sexuality, my hopes, my dreams are actually not mine at all. Think about that. They belong to the God who created me. If Jesus could split the world asunder, divide the soul and spirit, judge the thoughts and intention of the heart, could he make me what he wanted me to be? You see, I still felt like a lesbian in body and heart. But what is my true identity, I wondered. The Bible makes clear that the real and the true have troubled relationship this side of eternity. <laughs> the real and the true have a troubled relationship this side of eternity. For many people in the Bible, their true identity and calling comes only after a long struggle with God, with wilderness, and with dashed dreams and crushed hopes and plans. We are all saved by Christ's atoning love, by his bloody love, and such bloody love is horrible to gaze upon. Finally, and I saw it, it was a harrowing truth. I had believed that I was on the side of justice and peace, kindness and care, compassion and goodness, but in fact, I had been persecuting Jesus the whole time. Well, there's only one thing to do when you come face to face with the living God. Repent and believe. I could think of only one sin of which to repent at that time, pride. My world was simply filled with pride. Pride posters, pride t-shirts, pride co coffee mugs. My house housed the material for gay pride march, and I was surrounded by pride. So I repented of my pride, the pride that led me to the conclusion that I could invent my own rules for faith and life and sexual autonomy, the pride that said I was entitled to live separately from God. 
the pride that led me to believe that self-worth and to believe that self-worth and self-made in repenting of pride, something that I do daily, I have come to learn that self-worth, that core desire to be honorable, good, lovable, worthy, necessary, and needed comes only when we live inside of God's story, the Bible, and not apart from it. She repented. She came into relationship with Jesus. She's now a pastor's wife, serving Jesus throughout this world, speaking on college campuses, sometimes being being ridiculed, sometimes being criticized, sometimes being embraced. But her story is so compelling. And I know I spent a lot of time going through going through that, but it's really important for us to, to get that this again started from a stranger inviting her in. A stranger her inviting her in. Not not judging her. The Bible did that. The Bible took care of that. And and I'm not and not and I'm not suggesting that every story ends like hers. She came to repentance. She is now ridiculed by people in her former community who haven't come to revelation yet. Not everybody's going to embrace this. But she did. And again, more than anything, I want us to see the picture of a pastor and his wife. And again, it could have been anybody. It didn't necessarily have to be a pastor. It could have just been anybody writing to her, writing in response to her, writing to her in response to her, her critical letter. How do people perceive us? How do people perceive you? How do people perceive your walk with Jesus? Does it, does it in any way model what this pastor, Ken Smith, modeled in terms of embracing somebody, welcoming somebody into their world who was lost, completely on the other side of where we are with Christ? We, we know, we know, we know him. People don't know him. She didn't know. This was, this was a bright woman. This was an intellectual woman who prided herself on her intellect. Isn't it interesting the scriptures say, the intellect of the intellect, I will frustrate the intellect. I will, I will frustrate that. He did that in her life. He frustrated her intellectualism to the point where she couldn't ignore it. Wanting, from wanting to throw a letter away because it didn't fit her filing system. But the way he approached her nagged at her. He's not treating me like I've been treated in some fashion, by, by other Christians, by other believers. What we do matters. How we reach out matters. Luke 10, 25, 37, very familiar passage. I'm going to close with this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up in the, to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. 
So to a Levite, again, these are religious people, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. Take note of that one line. He came where the man was. He came where the man was. Where might we have to go at any given time to be where the person is who has the need? It might not be the church doors. Keep that in mind. He took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Powerful example, someone that's very familiar to us, but so relevant to this idea of inviting the stranger. We might have to go where that person is. We, we may be inclined at times to cross the other side of the street. I used to tell this story when I was still working at the Vindicator of this, uh, this other uh, employee, another manager who was just an annoyance to me. And I'd see him coming and go the other way. I'd, you know, I'd see him coming my way, and I was like, oh, my gosh, how long is this going to take? And it just, you know, and I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus and had a, just a terrible, terrible attitude and mindset about him. And, I, you know, I'd, I'd pray for people at work all the time, and I remember one day Holy Spirit just caught, my, caught me off guard and said, how come you don't pray for Mike? Well, I don't like Mike. He did not let me off the hook with that. He's like, oh, okay, I understand. No, pray for Mike. Because I love him as much as I love you. And you think you're all holy here praying for all these people at work that you like, but ignoring the one that you don't. And I'm calling you out on it. I'm calling you out on it. Go and do likewise. One who had mercy the one who had mercy, the one who had mercy, the one who had mercy, the one who had mercy. We have mercy because we've received mercy. We have mercy only because we've received mercy. What are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? Are we holding someone at arm's length? Or are we, have we completely shut them out? Or do, or, do, or do we bulldoze our way? Do we bulldoze our way in, in, in trying to explain the right way? Or are we like Ken Smith? Are we gentle? Are we caring? Are we inquiring? Are we willing to enter someone's world that may require of us? Ken Smith and his wife spent two years with this woman, just ministering to her, ministering to her, showing her, speaking through her, leading her through, through scriptures, answering questions. I believe there's a mandate on us as a body in 2023 to invite the stranger Again, I don't, I don't know what everybody's specifics are, who that stranger is, but you know, you know. I guess I, I, I'm expecting there's people right now already know, already have, and already have had images since this word first, first erupted of, of uh, I, I need to do something with this person. But there also are the unknowns. There's going to be the everyday situations. 
the everyday situations. Pay attention to those as well. The everyday situations. You know, there's a young man sitting here, and I'm not, not going to call, call him out or anything, but he's sitting here because he was invited through a random, through a random meeting at a restaurant. Pastor Mark and, and Kat were having dinner, and they met him, and through that had a conversation, and he's been here for about uh, a little more than a month. And, uh, it, it, it's, it, and, and, his, and his life is being transformed. He'll, he'll acknowledge that. He'll acknowledge that. Not, not because of this place. It's because of the work of Jesus that's going on in his life. We just happen to be an extension of the work that's going on in his life. And it, it's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. How, how, how do we treat a waitress in a restaurant? How do we treat a, a waiter? How do we treat the, you know, a, you know maybe, maybe, maybe the food's running a little late. Maybe something, maybe there's a mistake in, a, in an order. Maybe it just doesn't taste very good. How do we respond to things like that? These are, these are normal, everyday things. How are we? How are we when we have to wait in line for something? It's not complicated. It's not complicated, but people are watching. People are looking. People are looking for what's true. They're looking for what is right. They're looking for what's real. They're looking for what's stable and sound and firm. We have it. We have it. We don't have it perfectly, but we have it. We have it to offer. Are we modeling it? Are we living it? We're going to close. Father, I just thank you. Let's pray. We can stand if you want. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for, for the testimony of Rosario Butterfield. I thank you for her testimony that, for me, just continues to uh, just resonate, especially with this word for this year. And not just the testimony, but how she got there how she got there through someone who just loved and cared for her. And that is, so, that, is, that is so easy for us to do because we've already received your love. We already know about it. We already know how magnificent it is. We already know. We just have to live it out. We have to model it to anybody and everybody. Whatever, whatever the sin is, whatever the darkness is, whatever the divide is, whatever the situation is, you want your people to model that. And so I know we're just getting started with this word for this year. But I know you just keep confirming it over and over and over again. Over and over and over again. And so I'm so grateful that you are, you are leading this. I'm so grateful that, that uh, we can count on you and trust you to, uh, to show us the way. To show us uh, just people. That, uh, that you want to, that perhaps you're already in our path that for whatever reason we have either dismissed or are, or are ignoring or are, are too afraid. Uh, and you tell us, tell us again and again, don't be afraid. I'm, I'm leading you. I'm showing you the way. I will give you the words. I will give you what you need. I will provide for you. I will provide for you. So I pray that we'll, we'll respond to this. We'll respond in whatever ways that you have us to respond. And, and there's not just one prescription. There's not just one answer other than Jesus. There's not just one means and one way, uh, avenue to reach out, reach out to people. But I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that all of, it, all of this is summed up in you. All of this is summed up in your provision. So help us, Lord. Help us. Help us to, to respond to you if there's people in this room today that don't know you, I pray that they'll respond to you today. If there's people that do know you, I pray that you'll just, you'll just uh, prompt us and, 
uh, and, and, and minister to us to just take another step to go a little bit deeper in whatever that looks like. So I praise you. I praise you for a transformed life. And we know that many in this room are examples of transformed lives only because of you, only because of you, only because of you. So just minister to us now as we close out this time together. I pray that if there's people who have need, they will come to you. If, if they want to come forward and receive prayer, Father, just minister to them in whatever, whatever means, whether it's by themselves at the altar or whether somebody goes to them and prays with them or they go to someone and ask for prayer, whatever that looks like. We'll give you the praise for whatever work you're doing. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer, there's people here who will pray with you.